This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Once you get older, people think you're on the scrap people. You're going to, you know, just fade into the background. But no, I am not going to do that. I'm going to actually look good and feel good and do amazing things. That's a clip from Fabulous Fashionistas. It's a documentary that follows six incredible women with an average age of 80. They still dress to impress and are bursting with exuberance. Today, we'll talk to the documentary's producer and one of the fashionistas. Plus, it's Alzheimer's Awareness Month, and today we'll bring you the story of One Canton, a new retirement home with an ambitious mission, changing the way we care for people with Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. The Supreme Court of Canada has announced it will revisit the issue of assisted death. The court has agreed to hear an appeal in the case put forward by Kay Carter and Gloria Taylor, who succeeded in briefly overturning the law in 2012. A B.C. judge ruled the law unconstitutional, but delayed her ruling for a year to allow the federal government to rewrite the statute. The Provincial Court of Appeal then overturned that decision. Both the principals in that case have since died. Gloria Taylor died naturally in 2012, and Kay Carter chose to travel to Switzerland, where she was able to end her life legally. The British Columbia Civil Liberties Association is continuing the fight on their behalf. It's good news for women. We're continuing to outlive men. According to new research by the Institute for Clinical Evaluative Sciences, the number of centenarians in Ontario has grown by more than 70% in the last 15 years. And over 80% of the over 100 crowd are women. Researchers still dispute the reason women are living longer. Some suggest they have stronger immune systems, while others say... They make better lifestyle choices, which results in less heart disease and cancer. Just sit right back and you'll hear a tale, a tale of a fateful trip. And finally, Russell Johnson, the actor known for playing the professor on Gilligan's Island, passed away this week. Johnson was a busy but little-known character actor when he was cast in the slapstick 1960s comedy about seven people marooned on an uncharted Pacific island. His character, Roy Hinckley, famously built tools, generators, and other gadgets out of coconuts, plants, and scraps of junk found on the island. Johnson later joked that the one thing the professor never figured out how to do was to fix the leaky boat so the group could get back to civilization. Johnson kept acting after Gilligan's Island, appearing on shows like Lassie, Newhart, and Roseanne. He died of natural causes at his Washington state home. He was 89. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. 
It's the only retirement home of its kind in Canada. The newly opened One Canton, which was built by B'nai B'rith, is devoted entirely to caring for people with Alzheimer's disease and dementia. Its goal is to become a model for a new kind of care for those afflicted with this disease and their families. Executive Director Isaac Weinroth dropped by the Zoomerplex to tell us about it. The whole home is designed exclusively for individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia, which means uh, nobody is, is confined to any limited space. They are, they are free to move around and walk around and explore their whole environment, both inside the home as well as outside the home. What makes this place different from other retirement residences or Alzheimer's care? It's really the individualized focus. We really want to get to know the person as an individual. We want to know them. We want to know their families. We want to know their history. We want to know where they've come from, what they've done, and we want to then tailor the services to that. So, for instance, if somebody was into fashion and jewelry, we will focus on on those items when we look at programs and activities. If somebody was a chartered accountant, we'll uh, look towards uh, putting into place things that they're used to, that they recognize, that things that have already been, uh, that's always, always been a part of their life and to, to really continue their life. It's really a place where people continue their lives. It's not, a, it's not an end of their lives. It's a continuation on their life just with the extra support. It's not an institution, not a facility. It's really actually built like a condominium building that has the supports uh, you'd find uh, in a retirement home and nursing home. People are welcome to come and visit at any time they want. They can stay as long as they want. They can come at 2 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. People um, are free to eat their meals when they want, just like you and I would do at their own home. Um, People do the the same things at One Canton and and really live their life as as their own home. One Canton will also serve as a laboratory to test new technologies that will allow people to remain independent longer. It's partnering with the International Centre for Health Innovation at the Ivy Business School. And I reached Dr. Ann Snowden, who is spearheading the project. Our goal really is to rethink Alzheimer's care in terms of who can we partner with? And it may not, they're not necessarily my technologies, but technologies of Ontario companies that can make quality of life much better. So one example of a technology is called COACH. When people get into advanced Alzheimer's, they can't necessarily follow all the logical steps of very simple daily tasks of living. For example, brushing our teeth, we don't think much about that. But with somebody who's struggling with brain health, like a person with Alzheimer's, they may know most of the steps to brush your teeth, but might forget one. So, for example, might leave the water running because they just forgot or didn't think to turn it off. So, Coach is a very interesting technology that video monitors, so to speak, what the daily activity is, like brushing the teeth or a lot of bathroom activities or kitchen. And if a step is missed, it will give a verbal reminder would be great to turn off the water or, you know, a simple command that reminds that person, just cues them to turn off the water. Is this all done by computer? Is there any human intervention? No human intervention because one of the things with people in this uh, challenge, uh, with these challenges, they don't like a caregiver constantly saying, don't forget this, don't forget that. And it's hard on the caregiver and it's hard on the individuals with Alzheimer's. So this is an automated blended into the environment technology that allows someone to hang on to their independence a little bit longer, in our case, hopefully quite a bit longer. If you're talking about video in places like a bathroom, doesn't that raise all kinds of privacy issues? Is, is there any, is there a it's specter not, of, you know, Big Brother? 
No, there's no recording. That's the beauty of it. You use artificial intelligence software that can can electronically or digitally map did all those key activities happen and then you build this into the software the memory cube so there's no way that you could go into that bathroom and see a recording of somebody you know having a bath or having a shower this is all based on the artificial intelligence kinds of software so there's no records there's no way to go in that bathroom and know whether that person took a shower or didn't it's just when they're doing the kinds of activities they need to do it cues them and helps them remember the steps that are going to keep them safe. Are there any other types of technologies that... Yeah, I can give you a couple other examples. One's a a gate analysis for measuring whether over time somebody's balance is starting to change. And it's just a very flat, you envision sort of a flat uh, mat in in a floor space in their rooms. And it measures and calculates if balance is changing. And the real important part about that is if balance starts to decline, then we know we've got to put some different safety measures into the environment to make sure they don't fall. But so often we don't know until they have a fall. The whole center of excellence is around rethinking how do we create meaning and purpose and quality of life. And in this population, using some interesting technology to help them do that without the big brother or without the caregiver that's just glued to them every step of the day. And, you know, that could, could even be frustrating for some. Some of these new technologies come from private companies. Testing them at One Kenton will help determine how effective they are, and the Centre for Health Innovation would then help bring them to market. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. The word fashionista usually brings to mind a beautiful, of-the-moment young woman who is featured in fashion magazines and street-style blogs. Now a new British documentary called Fabulous Fashionistas follows six women with an average age of 80. They all look fabulous, dress with panache, have fun, and are determined to redefine what it means to be old. I reached producer Sue Bourne in London. If I'd gone to any broadcaster and said, I just want to make a film about marvellous, feisty, older women, they'd have said, no, we're not interested. But because I said I was going in through the prism, if you like, of of the fact they still looked marvellous and dressed wonderfully and it didn't matter what age they were, that meant the film had a visual content to it. But really, in a way, the film, that's the front, that's the front door that you go through. And really, for me, what the film was always about is about spirit and attitude and inspiration. The way I dress releases me from the tyranny of fashion. It's so easy to get dressed in the morning because I put on a black dress, I choose a jacket, I choose a piece of jewelry, I put on my faithful clogs, and I'm ready to go. That's former cookbook author Sue Kreitzman, one of the women featured in the film. She's wearing a black coat festooned with wildly colored and patterned appliques and a fuchsia collar printed with watermelons. On her neck, a huge mother-of-pearl necklace with a mermaid medallion the size of a fist. On her wrists, a half-dozen colored beaded bracelets, and it's all topped off by her trademark huge red glasses. She was also in London when I talked to her. All of my life, since I can remember, I've dressed for color and for art. 
So when I get up in the morning, I don't dress myself, I curate myself. And over the years, it has become more and more pronounced. So the way I dress, I always say, releases me from the tyranny of fashion. But it has become a kind of a fashion. You know, people now copy me and are very inspired by me. But I always wore very colorful, clashing. When I had little money, I wore ethnic things and always wore great big jewelry. So yes, I've I've never dressed the way everybody else dresses. Occasionally I've been considered extremely weird, but that's fine. Quirky maybe is a better word. Uh, I I will go with quirky. Quirky I that. Yeah. or eccentric. <laughs> is is that something that's generally more accepted on an older person? Well, there are several things to consider. First of all, the older you get, the less you care about what other people think. And uh, other people are very impressed. I'm in my 70s. Now I realize that being in one's 70s is still young. 70 is different from what it was in my mother's day and in my grandmother's day. But yes, people look at me and the other ladies in the film and other ladies my age and they think, wow, she can put two feet, one foot in front of the other. She can stand up. She can walk. She can talk. She's compost mentos. She's very, very colorful. What an amazing lady. So I think at this age, you can pretty much get away with anything. The age brings a certain liberation. I think they don't care. <laughs> you know, no, that's, that's it. That's it. That's we are what we are. They, they yeah. are themselves. And that's what I loved about it. They have, I think they have the strength of character, certainly the women in the film. And in a way, that was the lesson I wanted to get over, that believe in yourself and just do what you feel like. And that's what they all did in their very different and kind of individual ways. I mean, what's been remarkable about the film is, you know, it's a film about six women with an average age of 80. And it's, it became an Internet sensation. You focus on the women's lives, but mm. they they each have this fabulous sense of style. Uh, yes. Do you think that that is a certain kind of a gateway that if you care about the way you look, it it's it's uh, it means you're not letting go? Yeah, I think so. I think I mean Baroness Trumpington, who's all of ninety one, said, "I think if you if you stop caring about how you look, you, you've you've lost it. You're gone. You've had it." Yes, it's true. Now, how significant is it that that they each look fabulous and have a very, very strong look, but none of them try to look younger, and they don't? No, there's no need to look younger. I mean, we none of us have had Botox or plastic surgery or anything like that. I mean, I know how I feel, and I think the other ladies probably feel the same way. Our age, our life, our history, our experience is in our face. And it looks so artificial to have all those things done. We are what we are. I think Daphne, who um, is a model, is the most beautiful woman. She's in her 80s. She's gorgeous. She's She's absolutely gorgeous. They're all gorgeous in their own ways. The reason Daphne's in the film is that really she was discovered at the age of 70. And that's what I found so, apart from the fact she is gorgeous, but what's so remarkable is that her career took off after she was 70. Now, there, there is something of a fashion for older women in fashion. Uh, in the States, you have Iris Apfel. Um, her grandson started to document the way she dressed, and she's a fashion phenom. Uh, and some people have expressed the opinion that it's, it is a fashion, and uh, it's a bit of tokenism. I think attitudes are changing. I mean, that's what I think 
the film shows is that attitudes are beginning to change. I don't think Vogue magazine is suddenly going to take only models who are over 70. I think there'll be one or two of them. I don't think it's going to change because that's not what the fashion world wants. I think the baby boomers generation are going to redefine the aging process and this is the beginning of, the, of that revolution, but it'll take time. I'll just say this. I always say to younger people, um, getting old is not a punishment. Getting old is not anything to be frightened of. Getting old is a privilege. It's an adventure. It's a hell of a lot of fun. And take care of yourself when you're young so when you get to be in your 70s and your 80s, you can have as much fun as all of us are having. Well, that, that's, that sounds like a good note to end on. Uh, the two Sues, thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. You can watch Fabulous Fashionistas this Monday night at 10 p.m. on Vision TV. And it comes right after the Zoomer, which will also feature the subject of fashion for Zoomers. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Dolly Parton is celebrating her 68th birthday today. We'll take a quick break and then celebrate her iconic career as a country singer and actor. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review. Brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international art state book tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Scott Walker. In New York City, Kelly O'Hara and Stephen Pasquale star in a musical version of Bridges of Madison County. The musical is based on the novel by Robert James Waller. It was made into a movie in 1995 starring Clint Eastwood and Meryl Streep. With music and lyrics by Jason Robert Brown, Bridges of Madison County is in previews now at the Schoenfeld Theater. In Park City, Utah, one of the major film festivals is underway, founded by Robert Redford in 1981 to raise the profile of independent productions. The Sundance Film Festival runs till January 24th. In London, Leonard Bernstein's classic operetta Candide has been extended. Based on a satire by Voltaire, the 1956 musical is running until the end of February at the Menier Chocolate Factory. And in Asia, Art Stage Singapore showcases works from Singapore and the Asia-Pacific region, including India, China, Taiwan, Japan, Korea, and Australia. With the International Art State Book, I'm Scott Walker. Today, the country legend Dolly Parton is celebrating her 68th birthday. She was born Dolly Rebecca Parton in Sevierville, Tennessee in 1946. She was the fourth of 12 children and describes her family as being dirt poor. They lived in a rustic one-room cabin in Tennessee's Great Smoky Mountains. She began performing as a child, singing on local radio and television programs in eastern Tennessee. By the age of 13, she was recording and performing at the Grand Old Opry. After graduating from high school, Parton moved to Nashville, where she worked as a songwriter. She signed her own record deal with Monument Records, but the label unsuccessfully tried to sell her as a bubblegum pop singer. In 1966, the label relented to Parton's wishes and allowed her to release a country music album. It was titled, Hello, I'm Dolly, and it kick-started her singing career. The same year, she married Carl Thomas Dean, the man she is still married to today. In 1967, another man entered her life, Porter Wagner. Their relationship was strictly professional as she joined the cast of The Porter Wagner Show, a weekly syndicated television program. 
Together, the two wrote and recorded many duets. Their songwriting partnership lasted for almost eight years. They parted ways in 1974, and the split inspired Dolly to write one of her most iconic songs. It would eventually be covered by the late Whitney Houston, and that version became one of the best-selling singles of all time. But right now, we'll hear it in its original form. Here is Dolly Parton with I Will Always Love You. That was Dolly Parton with I Will Always Love You. Today, she celebrates her 68th birthday. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snymer. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bendry. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.